I was going to make a joke saying that's really all we have time for is announcements this morning. But I am I'm all sorts of out of sorts this morning. You guys see me trying to bail on a worship early this morning? I was like, that's it. I'm not playing another song. I'm losing my mind. But I'm also giving the message this morning. So hopefully God gives me some of it back this morning. Um, how's everyone doing? Good? We good? It's getting a little colder out there. Do you guys know it's like it's Christmas time now? Like, does anyone start their Christmas shopping? Does anyone have their Christmas decorations up already? Okay, I don't want to banish anyone from the church, so that's good. Um, you, you know how you can tell it's Christmas time? Because Dunkin' Donuts has the Christmas cups out now. So, Dunkin' has spoken. <laughs> We're going to be in 1 John chapter 5 this morning, if you want to turn there. So, Father, help us this morning uh, to study your word, and we're so thankful for the opportunity to um, worship you through song, God, and, and now as we um, turn to your word and we, we want to worship you through the study of your word, God, so we pray that you would speak to our hearts and speak to our minds this morning, God, and, and have us hear, have us be encouraged, have us be blessed by what you would um, speak to us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So... Um, we're in John chapter 5, and you guys know that John is about, like, 100 years old when he writes this? Like, that's amazing that, you know, he, he gets to be that old, and he still just preaches love, 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 love each other, keep the commandments, love each other, um, and after being 100 years old, the last surviving apostle, you know, from the original 12, that's his message when it all comes down to it. Church tradition um, says that by the time he was that old, he would just kind of be carried from place to place to, to speak. And that would take a lot to carry a 100-year-old man from location to location. And he would get there, and he would just say, love each other. <laughs> like, be nice to each other. You know, pour out the love of God in your life to others. That would be his message, and that would be it, you know. Um, and I can't imagine being that old, one, because I eat way too many Oreos, and I'm not going to live to be 100 years old. I've already given up. I've accepted my fate on that. But, but to be that old and still have that patience, I mean, I'm going to turn 40 in June, and I feel like I've already lost that patience. You know, for me, this is a, a message I have to speak to Amir, you know, like love, love one another, love one another. <laughs> like, that's the main message. Um, so we get into it, and chapter 5, we would, we would do well to go back to what Joe talked about last week. He went through chapter 4, and... Um, he spoke about, uh, you know, being in the world and the spirits of the world. And, and then, you know, towards the end of his message, he focused on this subject of love. And we would be well to do to go back into chapter 4 and just read like half of chapter 4 before we get into this. Just as like a warm-up, you know, like stretching before you get into the race, you know. But for the sake of time, um, I know you guys are the first service, so you haven't had the coffee and donuts yet. So I don't want to keep you from that. So we'll, we'll try and make this... Uh, in time. 
But chapter 5 starts with saying, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And we'll stop right there. And I'm going to try not to give you guys whiplash this morning because like we're going to go through like every verse. So it's going to be like stop, start, stop, start, stop. But we could spend the whole sermon just talking about that. That one sentence, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. Did you know you're a child of God? Did you know that? Do you feel that? Did you wake up feeling like, oh man, I'm a child of God? <laughs> I, I didn't. I woke up like in a cold sweat because I like woke up from like a nightmare this, I was having this morning, which was ridiculous. So, um, so that wasn't the first thing going through my mind. The first thing that went through my mind is, oh no, I'm going to be late. And oh no, I've got all these things I got to do. And, um, But everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is a child of God. And some of us need to hear that, I think, to know that you are a child of God. And no matter what happens in your life, that God loves you and you are his child. And he wants to care for you like a father would for his child. And it says everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. So it's not just enough to believe in Jesus. You have to believe in who he is, the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, James chapter 2 says that even demons believe in God, even demons believe in Jesus. It's not enough to believe that he existed. Um, uh, Historical scholars will admit that Jesus existed, but it's all about who do you believe he was and what power he holds. It says, and everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. Again, we're we're only going to make it verse by verse. And hopefully I don't spend more than a couple of minutes on each verse because there's 21 verses. Um, 21 times five minutes each. No. Um, everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. Now, so that's easy, right? We can love the Father. It's easy to love the Father. Is, is it easy to love our siblings? <laughs> and by siblings, I mean, you know, I'm a child of God. You're a child of God. So we got to love each other. It's not always easy to love our siblings, right? Um, especially our, our spiritual siblings. There's a lot of the father's children I have a hard time loving, if I'm honest. Um, but that's what God wants us to do. We need to love each other. If we say we love God and we mean it, then we'll love his children, our siblings as well. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Verse 2. Verse 3, loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So if we love God, we'll love his children, and we'll keep his commandments. That seems like a lot. Like, God, I can do one or the other. I can't do both. (laughs) But really, if we love God and we keep his commandments, that will show our love to our brothers and sisters, right? If we look at the commandments, and we studied the commandments a lot this summer, right? We Just a few months ago, we went through a commandment every week, and, you know, we, we talked about how you boil down the Ten Commandments, so like half of them are about honoring God and half of them are about, you know, being nice to other people, basically, right? Um, And if we look at those commandments, just take the three of lying, you know, killing and adultery or whatnot. Well, like when you lie to someone, 
like you're deceiving that. And who, who likes being lied to? Like, when you catch someone in a lie that's they've, you know, that they've lied to you and you catch them in that, you just feel, well, you feel angry, you know, you feel hurt. You, that does not feel good to be lied to, right? That is not loving to lie to someone. Um, early on, bringing up our children, we tried to impress upon them the importance of just tell the truth. I don't care what you've done. I don't care if you've lit the rug on fire. Just tell me the truth. And, you know, if you lie about it, it's going to be ten times worse. Um, a couple of people laughed like they'd probably set the rug on fire when they were a kid. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but lying, you know, it hurts when you're you know, thou shalt not kill. And we talked about, um, you know, not just murdering someone in blood, but like being angry at them. When you lose your temper with someone, when you yell at your brother, your sister, your children, your parents, whoever, when you yell at them in anger, you're murdering a small part of them, right? That's hurtful towards them. Um, we need to love each other. Adultery, you know, we can take the, you know, we all know what adultery is and and just outside of the sexual nature of adultery, what does adultery do? It's a betrayal of your trust and relationship with your your spouse and that betrayal that that is so hurtful. But like if we took these Ten Commandments, and there's there's grace for everything. God gives us so much grace and forgiveness um, for all these things. But if we take these commandments and we live by them, we'll be showing love to other people. We'll be honoring them. Um, just the other night at youth group, uh, Pastor Brian, our youth pastor, was um, giving a lesson of joy to the youth group and was talking about how do you have joy? Jesus, others, you, right? In that order. When you put other people above you, you will get joy yourself by loving other people, by being a blessing to others. You get that blessing and that joy in your life. So loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. I don't know about you, but I feel like his commandments are burdensome sometimes, you know? Sometimes I think I broke like two of them on my way back from Duncan, you know, this morning when, you know, someone cut in front of me. Um, I was like the only car on the road this morning, and there's like one other car that pulls out in front of me, right? So early in the morning, and I was like, ah, you know. Um, but they're not burdensome. And if we love God, it's, it's not a burden to carry that weight. You know, we can think of, you know, the example of, of Jacob back in the Old Testament where he had to work for seven years to marry his bride. And he thought it was like nothing. It was not a burden to work seven years for the woman he loved. I mean... I love my wife, but, like, if her parents had said I had to do seven years hard labor in order to marry her, I mean, oh, I would have had to pray about that one, right? (laughs) And I'm very thankful I did, but um, I just, no, okay. Uh, But, like, you know, that's, that's it. Like, if you love you know, someone so passionately, then it's nothing to take those commandments on. They're not burdensome. You don't consider it a burden. Um, you know, we, we should look at the, the commandments as like the owner's manual for our lives, you know? Like when something breaks in your home, 
the first thing you should do is go get the owner's manual, you know, and figure out if you can fix it yourself before just running to the store and buying a new one, you know. If there's a light that comes on in, on your dashboard of your car and you don't know what that is, you should go to your owner's manual to check it out. Be like, oh, I need an oil change or more air in the tires or whatever. It's a guide for our lives, and that's what the Ten Commandments are. If we live by the Ten Commandments, we'll be blessed. We'll be living our best life possible. You know, Jesus said, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, these commandments shouldn't burden our lives and weigh us down. We don't serve a God who just wants to make our lives difficult. We serve a God who wants the best for us, and he's given us the owner's manual to do the best we can. And, you know, when, when uh, John's writing these, these things, he's writing this letter, think of, like, he lived with Jesus, right? Like, he walked and ministered with Jesus for years, and he heard these words from Jesus personally. You know, when Jesus said, if you love me, you know, you'll keep my commandments, you'll ab abide in me as I abide in the Father, you know. So these are still, decades later, fresh in John's mind as he writes these things. Verse 4, for every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those that believe Jesus is the Son of God. So, every child defeats the evil in this world. Did you know you've defeated the evil in this world already? If you're a child of God? And how did we defeat this evil? Through Jesus Christ. And that's the reoccurring theme throughout this whole, well, really this whole book. But definitely this morning's study is Jesus Christ. Christ. That's the answer to every question that I'll ask this morning is Jesus Christ. How do we achieve this victory? Through Jesus Christ. Those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and we've overcome this battle, this evil. We've achieved this victory through our faith. If you have faith that Jesus is the Son of God and he can save you from your sins, you can have victory through faith. And we have so many trials and tribulations that test our faith. Um, and you might be thinking, oh man, I'm so tired of God testing my faith. It seems like that's all he ever does is test my faith. It's by our faith that we're saved. It's by our faith that we can live and that we achieve these victories in this evil world. Jesus said, um, John chapter 16 says, you will have tribulation but be of good cheer, for I have already overcome this world. So we have already overcome the world, and we have victory if we can have faith. Verse 6 says, And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross. Now, if, I'll pause right there. If you have a uh, New King James Bible, or a King James, if you have a King James Bible, God bless you. <laughs> but if you have a King James, you're going to read the rest of this verse. If you have a NIV or a New Living Translation or something else, the rest of this verse will be omitted. And you might have like an asterisk that tells you to look at a note at the bottom of your Bible or the, the margin that says something like a, very late, a few very late manuscripts have the rest of this verse. Now, the rest of the verse says, um, it says, so we have these three witnesses 
in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And we have three witnesses on earth, which continues into verse 8, saying the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. So why is that chunk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit taken out? The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. Well, I am no expert in Greek manuscripts, and I will not pretend to be. But I have a PhD in Google, and I know how to Google anything. It's honorary by myself. Um, no, but I, you know, I have some study tools at home, a Greek lexicon and stuff like this, and you can learn these things, and it's, it's, it's not difficult. And the long story goes, and I, again, I don't pretend to be a linguist, but the, the basic story goes is that um, this, this Bible wasn't written in English. Did you guys know that? Um, <laughs> if you didn't, surprise. Um, the New Testament was specifically mostly written in Greek. And so when, you know, they, they make, it was re- originally written by the authors, and then there would be copies made, and then copies of that, and copies of that. And when this book was being uh, translated into Latin, there was this one guy who was, you know, like the, the main translator dude, and he said, you know what, I don't see any proof in the original copies of the rest of this verse existing, so I'm going to leave it out. And then there was a big argument over it. People didn't like that. And he said, fine, I'll put it in because there's this one mention of it, but I'm not very happy about it. So he wrote this little footnote. Well, years and years later, when the King James Bible was being written, they just copied over this footnote and the rest is history and NIVs and other things kind of omitted out. What does this all mean? It means maybe there was like an overzealous monk at one point who wrote like a little footnote and it got put in. Who knows? Does it take away from the word of God? Does it take away from the context of what we're reading this morning? No, it does not. But it is important to know these things um, and to have an idea of what this is about. Why? Because say you have a Jehovah's Witness come to your door. Has anyone ever had a Jehovah's Witness come to your door? I love it when they come to my door. Um, but if you try and point out the Trinity to them, you know, they don't believe in the Trinity, right? So if you try and explain the Trinity and you happen to use this verse, they're going to be like, ha-ha, gotcha. This, you know, your translation, your, your Bible that you're reading of isn't, isn't right, you know, and they'll argue with you. So it's important to know how to um, talk to them. But this does not take away from the concept of the Trinity. If you were wondering, there's several other places in the Bible where the Trinity is very um, uh, uh, talked about, and if you wanted to jot a couple of them down, um, I'll read them nice and slow. Matthew chapters 3, 28, Luke chapter 1, John chapter 1, chapter 16, chapter 20, chapter 26, Acts chapter 2, Romans chapter 15, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and chapter 13, Galatians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 3, and 1 Peter chapter 1. Did you get all that? Okay. So if you need to, if there's any doubt that the Bible talks about the Trinity, there you go. (laughs) So all this to say is, you know, there are a few grammatical inconsistencies in the Bible. But other than that, it does not take away from the context of the Bible and what the Bible um, reads and says. So, you know, you'll always have people who want to argue with you. Uh, scriptures and historical accuracy and stuff like that. Um, it's okay for there to be, you know, a little difference in writing styles or whatnot, so long as the context remains the same, and it does. Jesus came by blood and water. 
his baptism in the water. All these things, Jesus' whole life was a testimony to who he was and what he would accomplish. Um, the baptism, Jesus did not have to be baptized. He was not a sinner. He didn't need to repent of anything. He didn't need to put the, the old man down and come up. All right. We have one rousing affirmation. <laughs> You know, he did that to, to, to be like us, to relate to us. We have a high priest who has lived and breathed and walked in our shoes who we can relate to. Um, and that's what's so awesome about him. You know, and we just had a couple of baptisms here. Um, uh, several people got bapti baptized here a, a couple of weeks ago, and that water was not warm. I stuck my hand in that water. That was some cold water. So I think there's like an extra blessing on those who went down that morning. <laughs> Um, but baptism is a, is a sign, a, a, a showing our faith. It's, a, it's, a, it's an example to the world to, to say who we are um, and a testimony to our lives. He was baptized not only by water but by blood. And again, it's important to know these things about why Jesus did what he did because, again, if we're going to talk about the context of, like, say, Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't believe that Jesus was ever resurrected, they believed that he was, um, he died, but then he was, um, he came back as a spiritual form, but he didn't have a shadow, he didn't have blood or whatever, he was a ghost, basically. Um, and even back then when John was writing this, there was different views going on, um, heresies that were emerging, um, these Gnostic uh, uh, scholars that were saying Jesus only received the Spirit of God when he was baptized, and then he gave it up when he was on the cross, so he died a man. Um, so that's some of the things that John is writing, and if you understand the context of why he's writing these things, it really can change your perspective. And isn't it crazy how back then, um, one of the big problems they had back then was John was trying to prove that Jesus was man, like he was God. They understood that Jesus was God, but they were also trying to prove that he was a man. Nowadays, our biggest problem is proving that Jesus was God, you know. Um, but he was both 100% man and 100% God, and that blows my mind of, of how he, he can do that, but he did, and it's so important to understand these things. So we have these witnesses, and they all agree Verse 9, it says, since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God testified about his Son. And all who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his Son. So, if you don't believe these things, you're calling God a liar. And, you know, it's crazy that we can, we can think about that. Like, if you if you don't believe God sent his son to die for us, if you don't believe the things that are written here, if you don't believe the gospels, if you don't believe that Jesus can save you from your sins, you're straight up calling God a liar. Um, I don't want to call God a liar. <laughs> these things testify. All these things we have that we talked about a moment ago, they testify. And what do they testify? They testify about Jesus, right? 
And this is what God has testified about, verse 11, that he has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. So all these things, what do they testify about? They testify about the Son. And it says God has given us these, these testimonies from, from man. He's given us his own testimony. Um, Romans Chapter 8, verse 16, talks about having the Spirit who testifies these things. And we have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling inside of us. If you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, he sends the Holy Spirit, the Helper, to come into your life to help you understand these things. And it says that he will testify in your life. Does anyone ever have times where they doubt God or they doubt their faith or whatever? Do you have times in your life when you know God spoke to you without a doubt and you know God is real? Write those things down. Remember those times that God spoke to you, that he testifies in your life his power and ways doing. So when the times come that you doubt what's going on, you will have these things that you can look back saying, the Holy Spirit testified in my life and I know he's real. That he's given us this eternal life, his life and his son. Man, we have eternal life in the Holy Spirit. That should, that should be alive inside of you saying, hey, you know, I know the world is tough, but you have eternal life to look forward to. Eternal life in heaven where there will be no pain, no suffering, no tears. Testifying of these things. This gift. Verse 13, he starts to wrap up saying, I have written to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. So if you don't have those things in your life that you want, it's because your faith isn't strong enough. So you just need to name it and claim it. That's what this says, right? No. And if you hear preachers talking about that, name it and claim it. You know, you don't have what you want because you don't have faith. That's just wrong. The Bible says, ask for anything in my name and it will be given to you. Um, prayer is a crazy thing. And I, I, and I often wonder, like, does God hear all my prayers? Does he hear just half of these prayers? You know, um, a few weeks ago, I saw my neighbors. I have some great neighbors on one side of my house. On, on the other side, not, not so much. And every year, they just blow all their leaves onto my lawn. <laughs> so I watched them do it this year. I'm like, oh, yeah. okay. Ten commandments, thou shalt not kill. <laughs> okay, Lord, help me. Like, the next day, we had, like, this crazy windstorm, and the next morning, I woke up, and all the leaves were back on my neighbor's lawn. I'm like, yes, Lord! He answered my prayers. But then I'm praying for my Seahawks to win, and they're just doing terrible this year. And it breaks my heart, so, like, Lord, it's not answering my prayers. I don't know. <laughs> but the idea is praying according to his will. Um, and prayer is a crazy thing. You know, oftentimes God waits for us to pray because he wants us to get the message. Praying is a way that we get in line with what he's thinking about. Um, you know, it's, it, it could be kind of likened 
to um, when I come home from church on a Sunday afternoon and I say to my wife, hey, babe, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to go take a nap for an hour or two. What? So I'm going to go outside and rake the leaves for an hour or two. I'll uh, do some other house projects. You know, like, we give up our, our message to God, and God goes, sure about that. You know, is that what you really need in your life right now? And we're like, you're right. That's not what I need in my life right now. I need to do this or that or whatever. I have a very understanding wife. She does let me take a nap. Um, You know, but God just wants us to make our requests known to him. And there are a few things. We could quote a couple of, of, of verses, and I don't, I don't want to go over, so I won't be long on this. But, you know, we, we could talk about um, Psalm chapter 66 talks about, you know, if we have sin in our hearts, God will not hear our prayers. Um, and, you know, Jesus said in, in the book of Matthew where if you're before the altar and you... you um, remember someone who has something against you, you need to go make that right. So there are things that can hinder our prayer life with God. And that's not to say that God straight up will ignore us or won't listen to us, but you know, the idea is that if we have something in our hearts that we know is not right with God, that we've got to get right, um, that's just going to hinder your relationship. It's going to, the same way if you, um, you know, if I do something that I know my wife hates, like talk about her all sermon long, <clears throat> or I just do something that just really drives her crazy and really offends her, like the average Monday or something. Um, I'm kidding. <clears throat> like, I need to go and make that right. Otherwise, that's going to be a really quiet dinner table, right? Or, you know, same thing with God, you know? I'm going to have a lot to apologize for later. I, I understand that. <clears throat> But the idea is that, you know, when you know you have something on your heart that's keeping you from having that pure, uh, truthful, you know, communication with God, you got to get that set. You, you got to straighten that out. You got to, and God already knows. God already knows these things, you know, like he's just waiting for you to, to like unburden yourself, you know. And then we get into verse 16, and, and we'll go through this, the rest of this pretty quick. It says, if you see a fellow believer sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray for them, and God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying you should pray for those who commit it. <clears throat> All wicked actions are sin, but every sin leads to death. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are children of God, and the world around us is under the control of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we know, we can know the true God. And I'll go ahead and ask the band to come on up, and we'll, we'll wrap this up. But this whole idea of, you know, praying for other people... We should be praying for other people, and especially if we have something against someone, the first thing we should do is pray for them. And, and if we someone, see someone sinning, the first thing we should do is pray for them. And it says that at some point, there will come a moment where your prayers aren't going to do any good for someone, a sin that leads to death. Well, what does that mean? Um, you know, the Bible talks about um, the sin of blasphemy, against the Holy Spirit. That's the one unpardonable sin. You know, basically straight up rejecting God. And if someone just straight up rejects them, you, you know, there's just nothing your prayers are going to do to change that person. But um, 
how do you know if someone has truly rejected God? Can we see into their hearts? Can we see into their minds? Not usually. So our default should be to pray for them. We gotta pray for each other. Um, and that's, that's a, we read verses like this and we're like, what is this talking about? Sins that lead to death? Um, is this like Ananias and Sapphira stuff? Like, you know, lying, you know, boom, they die. I don't, I don't think that's what this is talking about. But I do think we need to pray for each other. And, uh, you know, at the end here it says, the, the second half of verse 20, and now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God and he's eternal life. We can have fellowship with God daily basis, on a minute, a second by second basis, this fellowship that we can have because of his son, Jesus Christ. The last verse here could seemingly be odd, (laughs) an odd way to, this whole book is talking about love, 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 love each other, love God. And then this last verse, he says, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your, your hearts. Or your, your version might say, keep away from idols. And that's what an idol is, right? An idol is anything that takes away God's place in your hearts. Stay away from those things. And this whole idea of, of just spending... This, this whole book talking about love, love, love. And then ending in, in a way that talks about fellowship and staying away from idols. It all comes together. When we keep his commandments, when we can love each other, as Brian was talking with the youth the the other day, you get that joy. When you put others first, Jesus first, and then others before you, and yourself last, you're, you're loving other people, you're having a fellowship with your brothers and sisters, you're keeping his commandments, you're walking with God, you have a prayer life. Your walk with God isn't burdensome, but it's a blessing. That's how we'll leave it this morning, and and uh, why don't we all stand and we'll we'll sing this last song together, and we'll maybe bring the lights down. And and we certainly hope that you walk away blessed. And and ironically or not ironically, the last song is called "The Blessing," and you'll hear preachers almost always close their sermons with this: "The Lord bless you and keep you." Um, that's what this song is about. And, and uh, you know, when, when Jed sent me the, the song list earlier this week, like, I don't, I don't think he knew what the sermon was going to be about today, you know, um, unless you had a cheat sheet that I didn't know about. Um, but what a great way to end this book and end this service today, the blessing. certainly what God wants us to be. God wants us to be blessed in our walk with him.
And if you haven't given your life to Christ this morning, if you're watching online, if you're here in the room, you should do that this morning. You just say, Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and come into my life. And that's it. And you can have this joy. You can have this, this promise of eternal life, this fellowship, this love, this love overflowing. And so, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this message you've given us and um, the writings of John. And I pray that we would all just take this as a um, strong encouragement to, to grow old into our old age and still have this, this concept of great love for you and towards our fellow man. Um, help us to live out these truths and these promises, God. Help us to blessing to those around us. Help us to be a light in this dark world. I pray that God, as we go our separate ways this week, that each one of us in this room would have an opportunity to speak um, life and this gospel message of hope into a, a family member, a friend, or a co-worker. God, as we celebrate Thanksgiving this week, God, I pray that um, our dinner tables wouldn't be filled with arguments of political discussions um, as much as just talking about what you've done in our lives and what a blessing you've been to us, God. So God, go before us as we go our separate ways.